Welcome to the Sports and Torts podcast and its presentation of college football's last call. This podcast is powered by the J. Stein Law Firm, a personal injury law firm in Atlanta, Georgia. And now, the boys bring you their thoughts on this week in college football. What is up, everybody? Welcome to Sports and Torch presentation of Last Call, week 11 of the college football season. Jason Lawrence, great to see y'all smiling faces tonight. You know, guys, some weekends, they just they just hit different. They just hit different. All the feelers are there, and this was just one of them. You know, uh, quick recap, Friday night, starting off, three of us and the children at Morgan Wallen, fantastic show, rolling into UGA Ole Miss Senior Night, just spectacular night. Under the lights in classic at the Classic City Lawrence, you were kind enough to host us at your house. And then Sunday, Graham Stein, I can say, is fresh off the Jason injury report, back on the field playing, and his team took come a championship. So, guys, you can't do much better than that, in my opinion, for those three days. So I am smiling. I'm riding high, enjoying a cocktail. How the hell are you guys? It was it was a great weekend, um, and I think I think I sent out a link today. This guy, I don't know who it was, but he said it best. He said the biggest status symbol in college football today is for Georgia to actually care enough about you to blow you out. Um, the dogs looked like the best team in the country once again. Um, great weekend, as you mentioned, Morgan Wallen had everyone here to watch the dogs on Saturday night, and then uh, and then the U10 Kessler Firecrackers took home a twenty-three to twenty win yesterday in East Marietta basketball. So yeah, winners all around. Larry, you're one hollow coach. That's that's impressive. Hey man. Got skills to pay the bills, baby. Uh, Morgan Wall on Friday night started the weekend off nicely, though the concert was about 17 hours long. I think we'll get into that later. Uh, but but definitely a great night in, in, in a great venue. Uh, Saturday night, 52 to 17, just utter domination. Uh, the stadium looked extremely hype. I wish I was there. I couldn't stomach the you know three o'clock um, uh, arrival home on Saturday night after a long night, so I did not go. But but that game was just fun. I think the the way to um, describe it is just total dominance, a total team effort, and quite frankly, I think that's what we've expected all season long. So Larry, that's that's a great uh, quote or whatever you found there um, regarding you know Georgia giving a shit enough to kick your ass. Uh, that that sums up the season. Well, you know, we we talk about every week. It's right, like you know that, that long con that Graham Coffee uh, spits out, and each week is approached as a, a different practice. And you actually saw it all come together on Saturday night with the gap zone scheme blocking, all that type of stuff that you get frustrated of running it between the tackles for no gain, and then all of a sudden you have your offensive line create huge, massive holes for Dejan and Kendall Milton. And then I think I read something today that an Ole Miss staffer actually reported that, that Carson Beck was touched literally zero times on Saturday night. So the offensive line was a brick wall. All these things that the dog's been working on really came together on Saturday night for a, a pure ass-kicking of the Rebels from Oxford, Mississippi. Yeah, Carson said after the game in his interview that the only reason why his his jersey was even the least bit dirty with grass stains because he took yeah he slid when he ran for a first down to echo the point you made, Lawrence. But, you know, we, we mentioned last year in L.A. how that was a four-quarter just Georgia celebration and infomercial. I kind of felt similar about Saturday night, you know, like the celebration at home. Um, senior night for a senior class that, what, has lost one or two times and won two championships. I mean, just a special, special group. You had Brock Bowers coming back. We'll spend a whole segment on that, but what a freaking Superman that guy is. And then you had all the dignitaries in the house. You had Coach Rick. You had Jordan Davis. You had Nolan Smith, fresh off the game day set. You had David Green, DJ Shockley. Everybody was there. You had Bubba Watson, golfers, you name it. They were there. Kirby even said at one point, he looked around, he's like, shit, I got to make sure we put a, put, put up a good effort in front of these guys. Um, everybody loves Georgia. Everybody's proud to be a dog. And they were all front and center, ESPN, primetime, Saturday night. I smiled for four hours. All we said at the end was, please let Brock Bowers get that touchdown to top it all off. And there you go. He got it. So what more can you want on a Saturday night? Even Goldberg was in the building. Um, <laughs> and not to mention, the number the number one recruits in the 24, 25, and 26 recruiting class were there. This was a show that Kirby – I mean, this just goes to the point we talk about every single week. There's nobody better at their job than Kirby is at his job. His fingerprints were all over this from the get-go. 
with uh, in between in between uh, quarters, you know, bringing out all of the celebrities, all the honors. Stetson was back. All the recruits were in the building. This is truly how a college football game should be displayed under the lights. It set up very nicely. Obviously, having the seven o'clock game, and obviously the the biggest game in Athens this season. Um, I expected an offensive explosion. I think I said we we definitely score over forty points. What I didn't expect was it would be as easy as it did, uh, as it was. I'm sorry. Um, that even they even uh, exceeded my expectations. There, we could have put up seventy five easily. Um, I didn't expect the defense to shut down Ole Miss the way they did. Ole Miss came out on that first drive and and they they scripted it well, which obviously is is somewhat. I don't I don't want to call it a weakness of Georgia's, but it's it's a vulnerability. How about that? Um, they you know they scored two of their first three possessions. Um, and I think that their last touchdown was scored with like 10 minutes left in the second quarter, something like that. And then they barely scored again. They, they kicked a field goal, and, and, and frankly, they were lucky to get that field goal. We scored on our first four possessions, touchdowns on our first four possessions. We left some points on the board at the end. If, if you want to be hypercritical, maybe that last possession of the first half, we left we left some points on the board there. But the whole fourth quarter, it was – I'm surprised DJ Shockley didn't get it in the fourth quarter or his kid. It was just utter dominance. There are people on the field whose name I, I didn't know, and I was glad to see that. But the defense really stepped up. There's not a better secondary in the country. The past two weeks, you've shut down Trey Evans and Luther Burden uh, with Kamari Lasseter. Javon Bullard was all over the place. He was just absolutely awesome. And and CJ Allen, what, what a job stepping in for, for Jamon Dumas Johnson. Uh, he had the first maybe series or second series. He did get beat on one pass play, whatever, but he was a dog. He was all over the place. And I got to say, and I don't think I'm going out on a limb here and I'm not being original here, but he's probably the next great Georgia inside linebacker. Let, let me so, hop in real quick. Let me hop in real quick because I want to throw an underhand toss to Lawrence to to back up your point, uh, Jason, about this first drive that seems to be a, an Achilles heel for us. Between fireball shots, celebrating every score, Lawrence came to a epiphany about why it is that these teams are scoring on the first drive. Lawrence? Gans, I, I feel like uh, you think it's a vulnerability. I actually think it's a little bit of a little rope-a-dope. We're trying to lull them into a false sense of security while we're trying to figure out some of their tendencies. Now, that being said, we did miss a few tackles, uh, but I, I feel like this is like four straight games, four opening drive touchdowns. Um, and to back up your points about the defense, Gans, 185, Ole Miss gained 185 yards and had 14 points after their first three drives, and they had 60 yards combined on their next six drives. And between Bullard, Tyke Smith, and, and Malachi Starks, they had to combine four targets against them with zero receptions. I mean, Lassiter Island is a place that nobody wants to mess with. Um, this team's awesome. We have 20 deep on our defense that can play at any given time. That would be our second and third string would be first stringers at, at 95% of the schools around the country. Yeah, totally agree with that. Um, I don't think we're playing rope and hope. It did cross my mind though. I will say I was sitting around yesterday. I'm like, I mean, Kirby doesn't, he leaves nothing to chance. Everything, as Josh was pointing out, every single timeout, the guy's fingerprints are literally on everything. I think, you know, I think he does delegate well, but but everything goes through him. There's not a decision being made that he doesn't. So I, I thought about that. Maybe he's playing chess, but I, I just think, look, it's it's teams have a whole week to prepare and really put their best 10 plays on the field. You know, it's like running a two-point conversion, right? You got to, you've got, you know, your two best plays. I, I think that's all it is. And once you get into the flow of the game, I think Kirby and staff are just much better at, at, at scheming and, and seeing what's going on. And um, just look, 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 everybody's got a plan to get punched in the face, punch them out. Okay. Right. And their, and their plan is 10 plays deep. They get their seven points. It's cute. And then Kirby just punches the shove in the mouth. Let, let's yeah. just, let's just transition to Brock Bowers for a minute, because my goodness, what else can you say about the guy? Just when you think that he has done everything that is possible to be done, he goes and and shows out 26 days post tightrope surgery and plays like he didn't miss a beat. You know, in today's day and age, guys that have his sort of potential future, you know, first rounder, top 10, whatever, they shut it down after an injury, right? They say, what do I need to come back and risk further injury and, and, and slip in the draft. And he went the exact opposite. He went hyper-aggressive. He said, what can I do to get back as quickly as I can? That tells you about him, his character, his family. And it tells you about what Kirby has built, that the number one player, maybe in the history of the program, 
is fighting to get back onto the field as quickly as he could. So golf clap to everybody involved, the medical staff, you know, him for making the decision. I wasn't in that building, but can you imagine what went down when he came running out? So again, the story of Brock Bowers, it's long, it's distinguished. We were there and nap in the beginning and my God, man, love the guy. Number one for me. Yeah, you have Brock Bowers coming back after 26 days, playing like his hair's on fire. Then you have guys like A.D. Mitchell who have a uh, 10-week recovery from a high ankle sprain. Um, Brock Bowers, plain and simple, is just is just awesome. Um, I hope that when it's all said and done, uh, he is in New York for the Heisman Trophy ceremony. I know he has literally zero chance to win because he missed three weeks or three two. Was it two games he missed? Two. Whatever, he, whatever it was he, he missed, whatever he missed, he's not doesn't have a chance to win. But I hope they at least honor him as being the absolute best player in college football by giving him the phone call and letting him come to New York in December. I, I agree with that. I don't think they will, uh, but I do agree with you there. So, so three things uh, about Brock. One, we heard all week that, or, or from the middle of the week, that he was going to play. Um, it was a game time decision, but it sounded like he was going to play. And I, I was skeptical i thought that um you know they'd run him out there because effectively it's his senior night even though he's not a senior and just let him get that curtain call remember kirby did it against uh tcu when he let stead have his curtain call and the whole defense so i thought that was probably a possibility um kirby done that for rounds so i guess let's just go ahead and take that off the table uh second to your point he's back out there after the tightrope surgery Blocking like a savage. Forget about his route running for a second. Forget about that touchdown catch. And, and probably the most impressive one was like that 30-yard he had. Forget about that. The way he was blocking. But probably most important, and, and Herbstreit was talking about this during the game, is just the attention that he commands when he's out there. They're bracketing him. They're having safety coming over the top. You have to have a plan. You can try to account for him. You can't always. But what does that do? It opens up Lad McConkey. It opens up Dom Lovett. So just having him out there was just awesome. And I, I don't know if we'll ever see another one like him again. Well, uh, tip of the cap to you, Jason, for saying a week or two ago when we were talking about injuries that you actually looked at it the other way and said, hey, we're getting healthier. We're getting our guys back. For the first time all year, we saw him. We saw McConkey. We saw Mims on the field just creating, as you said, just night night uh, matchup nightmares. And what what do you do? I mean, what do you do if you're a defense? Nothing. You're I'm going to quote a wise man. <laughs> I'm going to quote a wise man who said, we have an embarrassment of riches. I forget who it was that said that, but if you look at what we rolled out there with Bowers and McConkey line up on one side and then two former number ones from the transfer portal, Dominic Lovett and Rara Thomas on the other side, Carson Beck legitimately had four number one targets lined up wide with Kendall Milton, who arguably had his best game of his college career, ran like ran like a beast on Saturday night. And then Dejon Edwards, who just casually rips off five, six yards of play. I mean, the fact we had, what, 311 yards passing and 300 yards rushing, an average 10 yards per play, um, it's an embarrassment of riches, Jason. And, and you know, I, I want to say something because we did, Josh touched on it. I mean, how good is Carson Beck? Now, granted – the offensive line, I mean, was absolutely fantastic, phenomenal. We've said all season, if that guy has a clean pocket, he is surgical. He's going to pick you apart. But he's just so calm, cool, and collected. He puts it on a rope. Again, the knock on him is he doesn't throw a great deep ball. Should the one to would Lad absolutely torch that that cornerback who left his jock strap on the field? Should it have been a touchdown? Yeah, we got it down to the three yard line. We punched it in. If he could, you know, hit a long ball here or there. And maybe he's coming into it. Maybe he's getting more comfortable. Maybe that, you know, look, the long con of Carson Beck. Um, that offense is really unstoppable. There's, It's the best offense of the country by far. Someone at me. Uh, so, fire, Bo- fire Bobo, Jason. Fire Bobo. Hashtag. Never came I'll, out of my mind. I'll, I'll, I'll answer your question about Carson Beck with, with, with two things that we discussed. Number one, we're actively discussing whether he will come back for one more year or enter the draft because he's probably yep. going to be a top three to five quarterback off the draft first rounder, number one. Number two, I would take him over uh, Ritter or Heineken, whatever the hell his name today. is, tomorrow or yeah. today on the Falcons. So th- there you go. I I mean, we said it on the first show of this this year, like we're all rooting for back. He did it right. He stuck it out. He's the best quarterback in the country. Come at me, at me, right? Well, I, so I, I'll, I'll, I'll throw down the gauntlet right now, and I hope I'm wrong. I think he goes into the draft. Um, I think that he's probably 
a late first round pick, a, a second round pick. Uh, I, unfortunately, I don't see him back in Athens next year. And I hope he leaves with three rings. So what do you have? You have Caleb Williams, Drake May, Jaden Daniels, Carson Beck. It's a, it's a great class. Yeah. I mean, some people will say Bo Picks. Speaking of quarterback. And, and Michael Penix. Don't want to go down a huge rabbit hole here, but I think it is worth mentioning that, that Stetson Bennett, as, as y'all said, was on property Saturday night. First time we've seen him back in Athens. Um, all the speculation, rehab, he's injured. He got hurt. What did we got hurt wrestling in downtown Athens? Like we hear so much stuff. He looked fine. Uh, we got reports that the uh, suite he was in, all the booze was removed from the suite. Um, what do we think is going on with Stetson Bennett, man? It's the craziest thing ever. It's like when Vinny Chase came back from rehab and Johnny Drama replaced all the booze with non-alcoholic booze. I don't know. He was back for the first game of the season, which was pretty awesome when he sat in the stands just like with random people. Uh, I'm not even going to speculate. I just, yeah, I wish him well. I hope he has a long NFL career. Very yeah, like to see you there, Mr. Gans. I'd like yeah. to see him get the, the helmet and shoulder pads back on. I'd like to see him compete for a spot on the NFL roster. He looked good. He looked healthy. He was happy to be in Athens. They showed a clip uh, after he received the Burlesworth trophy. He like looked over to his side and said, he, you could read his lips. He said, this is awesome. So uh, he got a, a conquering hero's welcome back between the hedges. And uh, listen, I, I wish nothing but the best for Stetson. He is a damn good dog. As he deserves. So, Jay Stein, law firm injury report. Uh, Julian Humphrey, Julian, excuse me, Julian Humphrey, the big injury that we saw, uh, upper arm clavicle injury. Doesn't sound like he's going to be back anytime soon. Maybe before the end of the year. Who knows about that? Um, Warren Brinson, your boy Brinson, left with a calf injury. Don't think that's serious. I think we'll be back on the field. Tennessee, JDJ still out. Um, they're trying to get creative, getting him back on the field. Who knows what that looks like. Uh, my favorite, though, was uh, when Ladd went out and we were with our friend Sean Traub and uh, his brother Darren texted, said he's out with a laceration on his leg. Well, okay, fine, whatever. Turns out it was a twisted ankle. So I don't know where he got the laceration information. Um, and then uh, I'll add Jackson Dart, who got absolutely pancaked and tattooed between two defenders and looked like he just got straight concussed. Uh, sounds like he's doing okay. He could have gone back into the game if he needed, but at that point, there was no point. Yeah, so there's no effing way Jackson Dart could have gone back in the game. Jackson Dart thought he was an Oxford Mississippi after that. And in fact, I actually felt really bad for him. And I thought it was scary because homeboy was knocked out. He was out cold on the field for for a few minutes. They said it was like a shoulder or a collarbone. Maybe it was in addition to uh to you know just getting knocked the F out. But uh yeah, I hope he's okay and um that was it was kind of scary. He he got smacked. He may have thought he was an Oxford England Gans. Uh Zion, Zion Logue hit him so hard that he almost the big fella knocked himself out a little bit too. Is he is he not showing up on the injury report? Thank goodness. No, he's good. Your boy, your boy's good. Did you notice though, after that, they they put in their backup quarterback who I know nothing about and their center. I mean, I don't know if he's like five inches shorter than Jackson Dart, because he snapped the ball, damn near snapped the ball over guys head about five times in a row. We're actually getting so pissed too. Every time he throws his hands up and you're like, what the hell are you doing? So they started with Michigan versus Penn State. Of course, Michigan has dominated the headlines all week leading up to was it Friday or Saturday morning? They announced that Harbaugh, uh, your boy Harbaugh was gonna be suspended. That guy is just one shit show after the next. But um you know, I watched the first half of that Michigan-Penn State game. I'd say Penn State is more not good than Michigan is good. Um, Big Ten football is just ridiculous to watch. Apologies to all you Big Ten fans out there. But you watch that game versus a, an SEC game, it just looks different. So um, I will say that Michigan got the win, and they were on the road, and, you know, bouquets them, I guess. Were you all impressed? Go ahead first, Larry, because I got to – Listen – uh, not not impressed. You know they talk about how great the defenses are in the Big Ten, but are they really that good, or is it just the offenses are completely inept? Penn State can their offensive coordinator as soon as the game was over. Michigan, I don't think threw a single forward pass in the second half. They turned they turned the game of football back to 1939 with student body left, student body right. Now, granted, they have two really good running backs. Um, but they didn't throw a pass in the second half. That just goes to show how unafraid of uh, the Penn State offense they were. Um, <laughs> pillow fight, classic Big Ten pillow fight. I was doing my post Morgan Wallen uh, swole session on my new treadmill at my house, 
just trying to sweat out the toxins from the night before. So I booked some serious time on that treadmill. Not a great soul session, but it got the job done. Nonetheless, I had that game on in front of me. While running on the treadmill, I almost fell asleep and fell off the goddamn thing. It was one of the most boring games. It's the most Michigan football I've watched this year and color me unimpressed. They, the first thing that came to my mind watching both Michigan and Penn State is slow. The team looked very similar to the team we absolutely stomped in the Orange Bowl a couple of years ago. They, it, they are just a slow, slow – it's a slow brand of football all the way around. Uh, Blake Corum put up nice numbers, 150 yards, 146 yards rushing. He looked slow. He looked slow. He, he's their speed guy. He looked slower than, than Kendall Milton. Um Donovan Edwards looks slow. J.J. McCarthy, unimpressive to me. Um, you know, maybe they're playing the long con also. But uh, and, and, and Penn State, to talk about that, what a bunch of frauds Penn State is. Penn State's in, in the SEC, and they're a 6-6 six and six team. Um, James Franklin sucks. Never liked the guy. He's terrible. And I'm just going to apologize right off the rip here to the loyal listeners of uh, Last Call here. I had Drew Allard in New York uh, as a Heisman finalist. I bought into the preseason hype. There was a lot of talking heads saying he's the next Josh Allen. He sucks. I love it, man. That's a good closing argument. I got your theme. Your theme was slow, huh? Can you Whoa. imagine? Can you imagine if a team ran twenty straight running plays against a Kirby Smart defense? Like, uh, is that yeah, really going to work come the playoff game? Let me. And I might be skipping ahead here, but while we're talking about them, Missouri would beat both of those teams by ten points. How about but them taking Tennessee? Where, where does that leave Tennessee for next week against us? Because they got their ass kicked, broken. Um, I mean, listen, going into Deland Stadium is always tough. I'm glad we're playing at 3.30, not at night. Uh, but but I think that team is broken. Um, I watched a good amount of that. More, they got their ass kicked. Absolutely. Uh, more so, n- not knocking Tennessee. I was super impressed with Missouri. Watching Missouri two weeks in a row, that is a legit top 10 team. That running back um, is greater. Yes, he is. He's probably the best running back in the SEC. Not named Jaden Daniels, uh, but he he's he was great. That team is great. They're well coached. They're a tough team. They would crush both of those Big Ten teams. Uh, Tennessee, I don't know. I, Joe Milton still sucks. If we said it all season, um, you know Georgia's now I think a ten point favorite. I know that's hilarious territory. Um, I, I like the dogs big time. If we want to get into that, we could get into that. We'll, we'll get we'll get back to them. But let let me contrast Tennessee going in the wrong direction. I mean, it's still going to be a tough game, and you can't sleep on them with Alabama. That frankly is just starting to really flex their muscle. Um, I mean, their, their their quarterback is putting up some ridiculous numbers week after week. They took it to Kentucky. We have a date with them the first week in December, but uh, they got to be on the radar. I think Georgia and Alabama have followed similar trajectories this season. Both teams breaking in new quarterbacks. Uh, Jalen Milrow is at the point where he's no longer an athlete playing quarterback. He's actually a good quarterback now. And he's and he's a, a freak athlete, too. Um, I would say at this point, Georgia and Alabama probably look like the two best teams in the country the way they're playing currently. Um, and in terms of the Mizzou-Tennessee game, Jason, agree 100%. Uh, Missouri stepped up they heard me call the sucker bet on them last week and they totally just uh gave me a degeneration x suck it and they just took tennessee behind the woodshed (laughs) now where it scares me a little bit is now tennessee is in a point where they have nothing they i mean they have nothing to lose right they could just go crazy um pull everything out of josh heupel's bag of tricks now that means joe Joe milton's probably gonna throw the ball out of the stadium um but if they can't stop schrader um, how are they going to stop our, you know, eight-headed monster of offensive weapons? So, yeah, talking about Alabama for a second, totally agree. They've they've certainly, and I was very um, bearish on them at the beginning of the season, and rightfully so. Like, let's not forget, they benched Milrow because he sucked. Uh, and he has really improved throughout the season. I disagree with Lawrence in the sense that he's becoming a complete quarterback. He's 
not sucking as bad as he sucked in terms of throwing the ball. Um, he, he is a freak athlete for sure, and that's something that the dogs are going to have to account for. I don't know. You know, Fortunately, Kirby's a lot smarter than me when it comes to scheming up defenses. That has been one of our weaknesses, though, historically, is um, is you know containing a, a mobile quarterback. But uh, what I would put back to, to you fine fellas is just looking at the Alabama offense and looking at the Georgia offense, do you think they're in the same league? Because don't I don't. I don't. We, we, we discussed this in the beginning. Who would you take in the top 22 from Alabama and put on Georgia's team? And I think that discussion remains the same. Having yeah. said that, um, I Alabama. kind of agree with you that Alabama and Georgia look like the two best teams in the country. In fact, jumping ahead to our top four, I know they're not going to be in the top four, but I've got Alabama in my top four right now. I think they've earned their, their place. I mean, if, if you put Alabama versus Michigan – versus Ohio State, versus Florida State, versus Washington on a neutral field, who do you all think is going to be favored? Alabama. Of course, and, and I totally agree with you. You're 100% right. They, uh, if, if you're picking the best four teams today as of November 13th, they are one of the best four. Unfortunately, that's not how, you know, the college football playoff that, you know, they lost to a Texas team. They have gotten significantly better. I think if they played Texas again today in Tuscaloosa, that they, they would beat them. I think they beat Texas on a neutral field. I think they, they're trending in the right direction, but they've got that blemish. And, um, you know, yeah. it's going to be right. tough to come back from. FSU, Washington, both survive. They keep winning, right? I mean, you keep waiting for one of these teams to get knocked off. FSU slips out of there against Miami. Washington takes down the Utes, but uh, look, they're they're still right there. I mean, they're both going to be the top five until they until otherwise. FSU. The Washington the Washington game was interesting. They did have that pick six where the uh, where the big fella dropped the ball on the three yard line. Thank goodness that didn't come back to haunt them. Um, Miami, not serious people. Florida State struggled with them again. You know, Florida State will be in the top four come tomorrow night when it comes out. But yes, on a neutral field right now. Alabama would be favored against them. Um, Ohio State would be favored against them. I just don't think they're very good, but they're they're going to finish undefeated. Nobody in the in the ACC could beat them. Well, so they're going to finish the regular season undefeated. I mean, maybe Sunbelt Sun Billy can pull something out of his ass and and, and beat them. I don't think that's going to happen. Um, I, who are they going to play in the ACC championship? Louisville. And so ACC doesn't do divisions anymore. It's just the top two teams. Dude, so, so it'll be it'll it'll be Louisville most likely. I could see I could see Florida State losing. They are vulnerable, but they definitely have the easiest path at this point into the playoff um, of of any of the top six teams. Um, be interesting to see what happens in the Pac-12 championship game, right? Because they're just doing. Are, are they doing divisions? Or are they doing the top two now? It'll be it'll be Washington versus Oregon. Assume neither of those right, two man. teams slip up in the next. So, two so weeks. you you hope yeah, assuming they they both you know finish you know Oregon one loss and Washington no you hope Oregon wins create a little chaos there because here's a really shitty scenario that I'm going to, I don't even want to put this bad juju out. I know there, where you're going with this. I know where yeah. you're going. I mean, dogs finish 12 and 0. We lose. And I don't think we will loyal listeners, but we lose 31, 28 to Alabama in the SEC championship game. And we get knocked out. I don't think that would happen. I don't think we're going to lose, but that would really suck. Sure. FSU undefeated, Michigan or Ohio State undefeated, Washington undefeated, and then Alabama SEC champ. You can see yeah. that scenario. Absolutely. We, we need losses tell you the, chaos. The, uh, the playoff committee, I think, is firmly cheering for Georgia to, uh, yes. to not have to get into that situation. Because yeah. if you end up with a 13-0 Michigan or Ohio State, a 13-0 FSU, a 13-0 UGA, then the question is, who gets that fourth spot? Is it a twelve and one Big Twelve champion Texas, or is it a twelve and one Oregon if they beat Washington? Um, that I mean, those those are going to the, the playoff committee potentially is going to have some really tough decisions to make. Um, this this will be and the other funny thing I, I saw that was interesting that uh, this being the last year of four teams in the playoffs could it has a possibility with not that many upsets to actually match the first playoff that included. Florida State, Oregon, Alabama, and Ohio State. Yeah. It was the first four playoffs. So here's my prediction is this is actually going to – it's going to play out and be a lot easier for the committee than than we think. It usually does. When was the last time there was really a tough decision, you know, and someone get left out? Uh, I think that this – I think it's going to play out. Like I said, Florida State's got the easiest path in right now. Uh, But besides that, um, we'll see. 
there's a lot of football left. Some there'll be upsets. There'll be you know there'll be chaos yeah. that happens. Championship Saturday it always does. So always. so other than Georgia, I think my favorite game slash score slash just whatever of the week was uh, Iowa with the with the twenty eight point over under scoring twenty two shockingly and the under still hitting. Lawrence, you had to love that game. I mean. Every week they make the over under lower and lower and lower for Iowa, and every week it hits the under. Um, I again, it's not that the Big Ten has these amazing defenses; it has offenses that are are moving the game. They're they're moving the game of football back in time. It's it's disappointing. This week Iowa plays uh, Illinois. It's in Iowa, and it's a over under thirty and a half. So they finally bumped it up a notch. Hammer the under. Until until otherwise you have to, right? You play with house money. So funny. All right, man. I've been waiting for two years to be able to say this to you, Mr. Jason Gans. Jimbo Fisher has been terminated, poured <laughs> out a drink as the uh head coach of Texas AM. I don't even know where to start with you, man. You can do whatever you want with it. I've got the numbers of his buyout, but I'm going to give you the the, the benefit of, of reporting however you want because this is your this is your your segment, man. The, the most apropos thing with this whole firing, which we've been calling for for the life of this show, is that that jackass got fired after winning 52 to 10. He won points and and then got fired. Which there's a story behind that. But I mean, how fitting is that? So I'm going to say this, and it's probably the only nice thing I've ever said about Jimbo Fisher. Shit, I'm just jealous of Jimbo Fisher right now. They're, he's getting paid $77.6 million to go fuck off, right? I'm not going to mention who my employer is, but if they want to do that to me, we could part amicably very quickly. I wish uh, you well in your future endeavors. Yeah, yeah. So uh, Jimbo is, is right now, uh, he's probably got a, a smile Ear to ear, he's the happiest guy in the state of Texas. Um, I mean, this this was the most predictable thing ever coming. The guy was stealing money from Texas A&M for really the past three or four years. Uh, I think his coaching career is over. He's squirrely. I can't see him ever on TV. I just assume we'll, we've seen the last of Jimbo Fisher forever. Good riddance. Good night. As the great Coach O said... Show me which door to leave out of and what time you want me gone. Yeah. That's how, what Jimbo's response should have been. That's what my response should have been. Uh, and I will give credit to our friends at SEC Shorts. They had a great, uh, a little great four-minute clip today. There was a uh, flashback to Jimbo's hiring and then talking to the Zoltar uh, future telling machine. It was great. Um, will be interesting. I mean, listen, $77 million buyout. Let's just go say they hire somebody like a Dan Lanning. They're now going to have to pay an additional 20 million buyout on his contract and then pay whatever the new coach is another seven, eight, nine million dollars a year. This is an expensive proposition the Aggies have in front of them. They're more they're more buyouts though with the staff too. That doesn't include they they have more money. The what the best part about this whole thing, which is kind of back to the point I said, there are no offsets in it either. So he gets 19 million bucks within 60 days. And then he gets, I wrote it down, it's like 7 million, 7.1 million, 7.2 million through 2031. I mean, can we just forget about Bobby Benilla now? We've got the Jimbo Fisher day of the year um, and no offset. So if someone's dumb enough to hire this moron, he doesn't have, he can collect that money too and doesn't have to give back anything. I, I, all I'll say is I want to be the Jimbo of the week every week until 2031. Yeah. So the, I, I, I'm in. Whatever the anti-Jimbo of the week is, is that award goes to Jimmy Sexton for negotiating this ridiculous contract, the dumbest contract in the history of all sports. I watched I watched a little bit of the press conference with the AM uh, AD last night, and he said he wasn't the AD when Jimbo got hired, True. but when they gave him this ridiculous extension, the old AD, Scott Woodward, had just gone to LSU, and that was, I guess, after Coach O left. And they were afraid, and this is coming off of the 2020 season or whatever it was, they thought that um, Woodward was going to go after Jimbo. And so Jimmy Sexton bent him over backwards and took full advantage of it. Uh, so Scott Scott Woodward, hey, man, kudos to you. You got Jimbo paid. You got Texas A&M irrelevant. And, uh, well, he ended up with Brian Kelly. So you got your own problems. But, hey, um, he worked it. 
You want to hear the best part of this whole thing of how inept that, that university is, is this is all going into to next year. Well, guess who comes to the SEC? Their, their biggest rival is Texas. So now they're not the only SEC school there either. Um, it will be interesting, though, to see who they hire. I predict that they screwed up um, and they hire uh, someone who just flounders in mediocrity again. But look, there are some big names out there. I don't know if Dan Lanning would, would leave for that. He'd be my first call. I, I was going to say that we, we traded some text messages today about that. Um, Dan Lanning is the name. He's going to be on the hot name for every big job that comes up, as he as he deserves. He should be. Uh, I'd say to Oregon if I were him, man, I, I'd rack up. I'd rack up a couple more good seasons. I know that y'all mentioned flying out to New Jersey to play Rutgers on a random Saturday is an idea, but who cares? They're flying. They're flying nice accommodations. Yeah, yeah. Um, they're, they're I'm not. not, I'm not I'm, I'm not going to that crazy ass town, uh, you know, College Station, Texas A&M. I mean, it's not like that program is is like Uber story. Like, what the hell they ever won? I mean, I remember RC Slocum back in the day and Jackie Sherrill and whoever the hell else they've had, but they've never won anything. Shit, we got too much time already. Let's let's move on to the other the other school in the SEC West that lost our coach today too, Mississippi State. It's 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 coaching carousel season, boys. Hot stove season, baby. Uh, Mississippi State one. That'll be interesting. There's already a lot of talk about uh, Glenn Schumann being on their hot list. Uh, if I'm Coach Schumann, uh, Gans, I think you said earlier, like, is that the job you really want or do you wait for something a little bit bigger to come up? Um, there's also talk about Schumann being on the hot list for being the USC defensive coordinator. I think that's there's no way he would make that lateral move out there. Um, in terms of AM, some other names you see out there is Lance Leopold from Kansas, Elko from Duke. Uh, and then the funny things you see coming from the message board genius site, like they want Urban Meyer, they want Harbaugh, they want Dabo Swinney. Um, you know, it, it, it's going to be, it's going to be, I can't wait to watch the uh, flight trackers going in and out of College Station. And then Mississippi State, they'll end up with somebody decent. I mean, I also saw Bobo's name being tossed around there. Um, so who knows? I, I, I um, I don't th- so look Texas A&M. I mean, I think they proved they have unlimited resources when it comes to uh, buying people out. Um, yeah, it, it'll be if, if I'm if I'm hiring and I'm Texas A&M, and I know we're going away from conferences or I'm sorry, uh, divisions within the SEC. I, look, I I, I want to get on the saving tree, right? And I want I want to see you know who's can we find the next Kirby Smart right now? Dan Lanning seems to be that right. That's where I was going with that. Um, Glenn Schumann will end up with a big job at some point, I think. This is just me speculating is that he's going to follow the Kirby Smart route and not jump at the first job, like a Mississippi State job. I think if Texas A&M wanted to hire Glenn Schumann, he would go. They don't because they're they're going to go for a big splashy name. But but that's what I do in terms of like Mississippi State. It, it, you know, it's, it, I almost feel bad for them, right? You know, you, you lose the Pirate last year, which which is obviously awful. They just kind of promoted this guy. I, the name I heard today too, Dan Mullen. Dan I'm Mullen. That's, say, that's what I was going to say. If I'm them, I'm hiring Dan Mullen. What do you have to do? Agree. Go, go seven and five every year. He'll be a god there. You know, I mean, like we talked about with Sam Pittman, who's probably on the hot seat and probably going to get toasted soon. You know, what are your expectations at, at Mississippi State, right? Seven and five, eight and four, you know, in a good year, nine and three and beat, beat Saban once. Like that is a, a huge success if I'm them, right? They're not going, they're not going 11 and one. They're not going 12 and 0. It's not happening. Yeah. They were uh, ranked number one in the first college football playoff ranking, though, if you remember back Dak. that point. Dak, uh, Dak Prescott and Dan Mullen. So I, if I'm them, I agree. I think that's the right hire. He knows what he's getting into. He can manage the program. Um, you know, he'll get eight wins, nine wins, you know, maybe have a magical season where he, you know, gets to 10. Doubtful, but maybe. UGA, Tennessee, we discussed it a little bit. Let's just talk a little bit more about it. My favorite message that has been traded between us this weekend was the UT fan that's convinced that Kirby Smart controls the weather now. Did y'all see that? <laughs> yeah. That, that, that Knoxville Might. Uh, faithful are claiming that, you know, hey, the last two big games that George had against high-octane offenses, Kirby made it rain. Kirby literally is Mother Nature now. We have that much real estate in these folks' heads that they think that Kirby controls the rain. The other thing I saw that made me smile – is that do y'all see who Tennessee is promoting as who's going to be in the house Saturday night? <laughs> yes. Dolly, yes. Parton. Dolly Parton. Is that who they think is going to hype these people up? Kirby's got the Migos and Ludacris and Quavo, and they're rolling out 80-year-old Dolly Parton and her double Ds. What the F is going on? 
feel like, well, Gann said earlier, they're broken. It sounds like everything in Knoxville is broken. Um, apparently, uh, Kirby Smart and Fred Ridley are the only two people on the planet that can control the weather. Oh, um the, with their chemtrails and vapor trails. And yeah, I saw Dolly's uh, Twitter announcement today that she's going to be at Neyland Stadium. You know, we're the better team. This team is not nearly, the Tennessee team is not nearly as good as the team they had last year. They they have zero weapons at wide receiver after losing uh, two guys to the NFL and then Brew McCoy with an injury earlier. They got my man Squirrel in the backfield. And uh, they have Joe Milton, who Kirby claimed today, he said he has elite arm talent. And he also claimed that their punter was elite because he's a uh, rugby-style Aussie punter who can actually punt both right-footed and left-footed. Um, so he's a bi punter. <laughs> he's amphibious. Hey. The only thing that scares me is they have nothing to lose, and they want revenge, and their field sucks, and people get hurt all the time. All right, so uh, the thing that scares me the most is their field shots and people get hurt all the time. So I think we're going to win. I think we're going to win um, forty to twenty three is is my prediction. Uh, I, I think we. I, I think our offense is clicking on all cylinders. They're going. You're going to hear all week that they haven't lost at home in two years. The last team they lost to at home two years ago was Kirby Smart's uh, future national championship team. I mean, I just look at the common. I like to look at common opponents. Um, so we've got four um, thus far. And um, they beat two of them, South Carolina, and a broken Kentucky team, but barely. They barely beat a broken Kentucky team. Um, they got kind of throttled by a horrible Florida team. And then we already talked about the, the Mizzou game. Um, I, I just think there's too much firepower with, with Georgia's offense right now. Uh, I think it's it's a business trip. We go in there 40 to 23. Just to hit on one quick thing, they might be right. Kirby might control the weather. Rolls everything else. Yeah. It's just hilarious to me. So uh, going back to the way you started the show, Lawrence, about the biggest compliment a team can get is that Georgia actually gives a shit to get up and play for them. And that's, I guess that's what we'll see. Does Tennessee make that list? Um, I can see a little bit of a letdown. I hate to say it. I can see a 28-21, 28-20, something like that. I, I do think we win, um, but I think it might be closer than the experts think. I just – go ahead, Lawrence. You I'm with you, Josh. Uh, the line opened up a little bit too low for my liking. Uh, seven and a half. Now it's up to 10. It's just a little bit of a weird line. So I think maybe it is closer than we think. Maybe 30, 20, 28, 20 type game. Um, I think we win. We're the better team. We should probably be a uh, 13-point favorite, but who knows? I just don't see them. W one more thing I forgot to mention. I did write it down. What's Texas? Uh, Texas. What's Tennessee's most impressive win this season? Crickets. It's not impressive. It's against Texas A&M, and, and I think we all watched that game, 20-13 to 13 at home. They're lucky to pull out a squeaker, right? So that that was a, your 3.30 CBS game uh, earlier in the season when everyone in Knoxville was hype and they still thought they had something. I just don't see any way that they could contain our offense. Um, I don't even like saying 20. Whose offense is better, Ole Miss or, or Tennessee? I, granted, we, we got Ole Miss and Athens, and we got to go there. I, I, you know, I feel like twenty three. I might, I might be eating my words, and we could hold them to fourteen points. I feel good about this one. So, one thing that I found interesting is this was, you know, going to Knoxville was a game that a lot of people circled beginning of the year, Georgia Knoxville, and the ticket prices were through the effing roof. Yeah. Get in. I looked today just out of curiosity, and they're actually not that expensive anymore. Um, I think that tells you a lot about, you know, kind of where this game stands in Knoxville's uh, view. I think Georgia fans are still going to go. It'd be interesting to see what kind of crowd we take there, but the, the ticket price is much cheaper. Found that kind of interesting. All right. Moving on to the what, is the, what is the get in price right now? 175 for what I would say fairly decent tickets. Uh, SEC championship game is not going to be cheap. And no. We've got to shell out a few shekels for uh, a couple more games after that. Yeah, SEC game. I mean, that's gonna be the biggest SEC championship game in years, right? Because as we as we pointed out, like it kind of could be an elimination game. So we'll see. Well, root for root for Auburn. Root for Auburn to beat Alabama and drive prices down. I love it. Sucker bet of the week, Lawrence. Watching game day, I did this weekend for the first time probably all year. Of course, it was in Athens. They did a lot of Georgia segments, so I got a little more feel for what they got going on. So their their expert picker is that Steve, whatever his name is, Stanford Steve. He Stanford stinks. Steve. He stinks, dude. His his record, I wrote it down, 16-26-2. Um, you need to get your resume over to Kirby and the boys. I mean, at least you're 500. 
Well, I was thinking I was thinking we could do two things. One is we could send a combined resume over to the Texas A&M AD and the three of us can be co-head coaches and then we can jimbo ourselves out of a job and just be full-time podcasters when it's all said and done. And then two, the sucker bet. Uh, yeah. So I would love to sit here and say that it was an intentional bush that uh, I picked Missouri. I picked Tennessee knowing that they would uh, just get their ass kicked and uh, seal the East for us. Um, but uh, alas, that was not what I was doing. I just thought it was a weird, weird line because I thought Missouri should have been favored at home against what I don't think is a very good Tennessee team. So uh, five and seven, I got some work to do to close out and get back up to 500. There's a couple games that jumped out at me. Uh, Louisville Louisville is minus two on the road at Miami, um, which I, I found I thought Louisville should probably be favored by a little bit more. And then Mizzou is at home versus Florida. And they're only a 10 and a half point favorite. Um, and Florida just continues to get boat raced. I mean, they gave up what? Uh, they, a record, something that's never been done before to Jaden Daniels this past weekend with 300 yards passing and 200 yards rushing. I mean, what's Brady Cook going to do against him? What's the what's uh, Schrader going to do? What's Luther Burden going to do against his Florida team? I thought the line probably should have been closer to like probably 14 or 17. Um, but I'm not going to go against my Mizzou Tigers again this week. I'm going to go ahead and say Louisville is a sucker. I'm going to take Miami plus the two, and uh, Mario is going to pull off an upset and just cause a little bit more chaos in the ACC. I will say this. I will say this. We all play a lot of ping pong. When the score is seven to five, it's a huge swing point because set eight and five and seven and six are two entirely different games. So you are at that point right now. You're five and seven. You lose this one, five and eight, you can't come back from. That's Six right. and seven, you're right there. So It's do want, or die, baby. I want you to really be confident in this pick because your whole season, in my opinion, rests on this one. Listen, it's Monday. There's a lot that can happen. I spent about 38 seconds looking at the lines today, and Here I'm taking my hedge. Here comes the hedge. I just want I'm to taking say. Miami. For the record, you're you're putting your cojones on the line for a previous Jimbo of the Week winner um, who lost who, who was who took that down in an egregious fashion. So just FYI, you know what you know what I know about the Jimbos? They're unpredictable. You never know what you're going to get from week to week with them. Speaking of which, what do we do on our namesake's biggest day of his life? <laughs> so I, I think we, <laughs> I thought about that also. We might have to open this up for. Uh, you know, uh, listeners' uh, input in terms of uh, do, do we retire this? Um, I, do we retire the Jimbo of, of the week? There's no more Jimbo, and I just already told you Jimbo's the smartest guy I know right now. Right, right. Um, so you got the script. Th- this week, I'm giving out the Jimbo Lifetime Achievement Award. Um, and, and and we're gonna have to do some serious thinking over the week. Maybe we just finish out the season and, and rename it next next year. But the Jimbo Lifetime Achievement Award, and this is extremely predictable, goes to Ross Bjork, uh, who you didn't name Lawrence. I thought you were going to. And I was glad you didn't. Who is the current AD at uh, at Texas A and M, and is the one who signed off on the worst contract in the history of sports of all time. Ever like this guy should be in the category with uh, the GM of the Yankees that traded Babe Ruth for you know a, a bush for a hundred grand or whatever it is. This is <laughs> Ross Bjork gets the Jimbo Lifetime Achievement Award, and we might not have another Jimbo Award. I don't know. We need to shut it yeah. down. Huh? Shut it down. That, that's a great. That's a great one. I thought you were going to go with somebody like maybe like Oklahoma State and Mike Gundy to get boat raced by uh, Gus Malzahn, or potentially Clemson, who they're Clemson fans who stormed the field after beating a five and four Georgia Tech team. So about that, I thought you'd go that direction too, based on some of our our, our text messages. But doesn't Clemson just do that on the reg? Isn't that their thing that after home victories they make their way onto the field? I and mean, that wasn't special for Georgia Tech, was it? I don't know. Uh, we did give them the jump over the week one week for, for storming the field against somebody else. Maybe they do that. It's ridiculous if they do. They should. Uh, they should definitely change that. <laughs> well, boys, I appreciate y'all going a little longer than usual. Just too much to talk about. But before we wrap up, I do want to go off topic a little bit and just um, rehash the Morgan Wallen Friday night concert. Uh, it was me, Isabella, Lawrence, Sam, Jason, your two girls, um, Caroline, and Charlotte. I mean it. I thought it was a freaking blast. Um, you know, we rolled into the battery about 4.30, 4.45, started off at Antico, ordered some pizzas. Thank you, Mr. Gans, for picking those up. Uh, we got one pizza too many, and it got me thinking that if I'm a teenage kid, I'm hanging out Friday nights at that green space. 
we we gave Isabella's friends we ran into a whole pizza. People were just giving pizzas away to those dudes. Um, so so pro tip right there. And then getting into the to the stadium, Bailey Zimmerman, I give him an A. Uh, Parker McCollum came on next, I give him an F. I'm sorry, that might be harsh. I did not enjoy him. Uh, and then there was a lot long downtime, which none of us really like. But then once your boy Wallen came on about nine twenty, the guy just went. He just went until a little after eleven saying every song, every word, he gets after it, he does it right. I give the whole night a 10. Great, great performer. We got some pyrotechnics going on. We opened up with a uh with what is Lil Uzi or Lil Dirk uh with a little Broadway rap girls. to start off. Uh, he he Broadway girls he he puts on a really really good show. Uh I wish I wish they would have reordered things a little bit that Bailey Zimmerman led into Morgan Wallen as opposed to having Parker McCollum in between. Um the 90 minute delay in between, I mean, gosh, that was a lot. If I had to do it all over again, I would have walked into Truist at 8:45, probably skipped all the openers. Um, you know, I find I find the battery to be a really great place to host a concert just because of all the amenities around there, obviously close to where we all live. Um, inside the stadium, they need to do a little bit better job of maintaining the beer selection and uh, reducing the bathroom lines during a concert. I think they manage it really well during a Braves game, but when they have the overload of people for a concert, it gets to be a massive shit show in there. It was awesome. I agree with everything all you guys said. Uh, Bailey Zimmerman was awesome. He was rocking a Braves jersey too, which was fantastic. He was great. I agree with Parker McCollum and uh, yeah, two knocks. Um, and, and by the way, this really didn't detract from the night. One is, yeah, the 90 minutes in between. That had to have been some sort of screw up in between Parker McCollum and and, um, and Morgan Wallen coming on. And two, get rid of Spedka. I paid $35 for a double Spedka. Uh, and my liver has been hurting ever since. Can can we like change that up, Truist? $35 vodkas, $24 Miller Lights. You know, we were, what did we pay for the Pacificos in uh, SoFi? Well, they, were like 18. they were like, they were like mini, they were like mini kegs though. The Pacificos. Uh, same, thing, same thing with the Miller Lights. We were getting 24 ounces, but yeah, they were like 24 bucks. You're paying like a dollar an ounce there. Yeah. Yeah. So good. So good. All right, guys. And Lawrence, thank you for hosting us on, on Saturday night. I, I will say Robert, you now brought an amazing smorgasbord of food uh, topped off by a Korean uh barbecue steak cheesecake uh chicken cheesesteak i mean he had a little bit of it all from fred's travels pretty well no uh fred's cheesesteaks were delicious we had the uh original and then we had the korean chicken cheesesteak very very good ordered some pizzas and wings from blue moon who by the way uh blue moon wings i i find to be vastly underrated they do a really good job with their wing game uh uh, and then we topped it off with some crumble cookies. So it was a, it was a high calorie consumption day. I enjoyed a bunch of Terramana tequila, uh, some um, what do we call this stuff? Sugarland Shine Moonshine, straight out of Gatlinburg. Um, all in all, a great Saturday, a great Friday, a great Saturday, a great Sunday, a solid weekend. Like I said, some weekends hit different. This one just hit different. All right, guys, good stuff as always. Appreciate y'all listening. On to Knoxville. All right. Appreciate it. Listen, until next time, good dogs. Keep chopping. Peace. Dogs.